the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a ring of truth that is unmistakable. Knowing that you cannot find them all. And if you listen carefully, and sometimes even if you don't, you can hear that sound. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When there's no provision in the law for that sin to be forgiven, and yet David is saying, but God forgave me when I confessed it to him. God's grace is one of the greatest blessings a Christian can receive. It's through grace that you're saved. There's nothing in the world more desirable than an eternity with God, worshiping him. Today, Pastor Dan will take you to Jeremiah to show you the extreme grace that God showed on his people, Israel. They committed idolatry and turned their backs on God again and again. And each time, he was faithful to forgive them when they repented and set their hearts back on him. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 3 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jeremiah chapter 3, as we continue our Old Testament study. Um, Well, Jeremiah, remember, he is a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah, Judah. Judah fell to the Babylonian Empire in Jeremiah's lifetime. So Jeremiah, as he's preaching, he's preaching to the last generation of Israelites before the exile, before the captivity. Jeremiah saw the death of the nation. He saw the end of the kingdom of uh, Judah. He's been called the bravest man in the Old Testament because Jeremiah faithfully preached for over 40 years. Uh, to people who would not listen to him. Uh, For over 40 years, he declared the word of God to the kingdom of Judah, and not one person responded to his warning and repented and turned back to God. And so uh, no one turned as a result of his preaching, and yet he stayed faithful to what God called him to do for four decades. Uh, In chapter 2, that we looked at last time, if you look back in chapter 2, in verse 13, the Lord says to the people of Judah, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves, dug themselves, cisterns that are actually broken cisterns that can hold no water. We talked about this last time. Uh, But the people of Judah abandoned Jehovah God, and instead they're going after gods that they created themselves. 
they're going after idols that they've made with their own hands, idols that can do nothing for them, that are powerless, that can't help them in any way. So they have forsaken God, the fountain of living water, and they've chosen instead these idols, which are cisterns that hold no water. Um, And so now in chapter 3, Jeremiah continues, and in chapter 3, God compares his relationship with the people of Israel to a marriage. He describes this relationship as a marriage, where he is the husband and Israel is God's wife. Uh, We see a similar comparison in the New Testament, where Jesus is described as the bridegroom, and the church is described as the bride We're the bride of Christ. And so we are the bride of Christ. And we see this same analogy here in chapter 3 of Jeremiah with Israel, the people of Israel. So look at verse 1. They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted And here, this is a reference to the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 24, where it says, if a man divorces his wife and then she goes off and she marries some other man, and then for some reason that marriage ends, uh, the first husband can't take her back and remarry her or marry her again a second time. Uh, And the reason God put this provision in his law was so that people would not uh, consider divorce casually. Uh, it, it was a way to uh, slow that process down, hopefully, uh, to cause people to really think through uh, the act of divorce instead of just making kind of this quick, emotional, irrational decision in the heat of the moment, uh, in their anger with their spouse, you know, divorcing the spouse. This provision is put into the law so that people will hopefully um, pause and kind of think through the decision they were making and think about their relationship with their spouse, think about the life that they've built together, think about their children. And if they go through with the divorce, they can't get any of that back. It's final. And you're saying goodbye to all of that. You know, sometimes you hear stories of people that are married for, you know, 20, 30 years, 40 years, and then they get a divorce. And one of the things that I think about is even if you get remarried, if you get married to someone else after, you're never going to get those things back. Never going to have the experiences I've had with my wife with someone else. I'm never going to have children with my wife or, or have the early stages in your marriage when you're young and poor and all of that kind of stuff and just kind of growing up together. You know, somebody that later in life that divorces, you're never going to get those things with someone else. You can get something with someone else, but not those things back. And this provision in the law was to just kind of cause people to pause and be sure that they want to say goodbye to all of those things. Uh, You know, here in the state of Maryland, we have similar laws that serve kind of the same purpose. Uh, In the state of Maryland, uh, before you can get a divorce, you have to live separately for up to a year, at least a year. And the provision is in the law so that there's a year of time that passes before the divorce is final. And you live separately for a year. And hopefully in that time, 
you know, you have time to cool off and maybe reconsider your decision. God has this law there to help people to slow down before jumping into a divorce. And he says here again in verse one, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you, he's speaking to Judah now, you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet, yet's a beautiful word in the Bible, isn't it? Yet, return to me, says the Lord. The people of Judah have played the harlot. They've been um, an unfaithful wife to God. They've worshipped other gods and idols. Uh, They're guilty of spiritual adultery. And yet God says to them, return to me. Come back to me. Even though they've been unfaithful to God, God still wants them. As his wife, he still wants them back, even though they've committed adultery and they committed adultery, not just once, but we're told with many, many other gods on many other occasions, they've been unfaithful to the Lord. If you remember their story, you know, the first time that Israel was unfaithful to God was on their wedding day at Mount Sinai, when God entered into this covenant relationship with the people of Israel. That's their wedding day. And remember the story when Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the covenant from God. What were the children of Israel doing down at the bottom of the mountain? They'd created a golden calf and they were worshiping another God. They were unfaithful to God on the wedding day. They committed adultery that day. They remained unfaithful throughout their relationship. From the very first day onward, they were unfaithful And yet here we see that God says, return to me, come back to me, I'll take you back. She's played the harlot with many partners. And yet God says, I'll take you back. Uh, You know, in, in the Bible, God allows for divorce in the case of adultery. And God allows for divorce in the case of adultery because, um, adultery causes so much damage to a marriage relationship that in most cases, that's just too much for a person to forgive. Most people just don't have that much grace to give to someone and to forgive them for adultery. And what we see here is God's wife, Israel, has been very, very unfaithful, countless times with countless partners, and yet God says, return back to me. I want you back. The law says, Deuteronomy 24, the law says she can't come back. But God says, I'll take you back anyways. And what you see here with this story is that God's grace is greater than the law. His grace is greater than the law. And even though the law says she can't come back to you now, God says, I'll take her back. Return back to me. I think of David and how David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then arranged for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And, you know, in the law, uh, there is no sin offering that a person can make for adultery and murder. Both of those uh, are punishable by death. The law says an adulterer, murderer, they're to be executed. There's no way to atone in the law. 
for that sin. But if you remember, God forgave David of that sin. God's grace was greater than the law for David. God's forgiveness was greater than the requirement of the law for David. And you remember David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm 32, David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Just the conviction and guilt of his sin weighed heavy on David. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When there's no provision in the law for that sin to be forgiven. And yet David is saying, but God forgave me. When I confessed it to him, he forgave me. His grace was greater than the law. I think of the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. And it says in John chapter 8 that she was caught in the very act. And the religious leaders brought her to Jesus and threw her down at Jesus' feet and said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses says she should be stoned to death. And they were right. That's what the law says. There was no uh, sacrifice she could make in the law to atone for the sin of adultery. The punishment is death. But then they said to Jesus, what do you say about it? And you remember the story and the end of it, Jesus doesn't condemn the woman, even though the law condemns her. Jesus didn't condemn her and he told her to go her way and sin no more. Repent of your sins. Go your way. His grace was greater. His forgiveness was greater than the demands of the law. And here you see in Jeremiah, God pleading with his wife, Israel, to return to him, even though the law says Now that she's gone and she's been with other men, she can't come back to you. God says, come back, come home, return to me. And this is God's heart. This is God's heart towards sinners. This is God's heart towards the backslidden. It's God's heart towards prodigals. Return to me. Come back to me. Jeremiah uses this word return 125 times in this book. God is is pleading with Israel to come back to him 125 times. He uses this word 20 times just in chapters 3 and 4. God pleading. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His desire is that all would come to repentance, that all would return back to him. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. 
Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. Look at verse 2. The Lord says, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see, where have you not lain with men? By the road you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. God says, look around the land. I can't find one place where you have not lain with men. We've not committed spiritual adultery. They had filled all the high places and all the hills and all the groves with places of worship to worship these idols. And so God says, look around. Where have you not lain with men? And this word lain that God uses here, it's a very interesting word because it's a very obscene word. It's a very vulgar word that's used here in this passage. Uh, In fact, um, in synagogues today, when this passage is read aloud to the congregation, rabbis often just change this word to a different, softer word because they don't want to say that word out loud to the congregation. So you can imagine what the English equivalent of this word would be. And that's what he's saying. This is a jealous husband confronting his wife about her adultery. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's very blunt with her about what she's done. And so he says again, he says in verse 2, By the road you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness. She's just out sitting by the roadside, offering herself to anyone who comes along, offering herself to any God that passes by. You think about this. She has forsaken the perfect husband. She has forsaken the perfect husband. And now she is offering herself to anyone that comes along by her. God says, you have polluted the land with your harlotries. He's talking about moral pollution here. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the news the last couple of weeks about the environment uh, with the introduction of the new Green Deal in Congress, right? There's a lot of concern right now about the condition of the planet. And there's a sense, at least among some people in Congress, that, that you know, dramatic steps need to be taken to save the planet before it's too late. And they're concerned with environmental pollution, but you don't ever hear anyone talk about moral pollution and the effect of moral pollution in the world and the urgency to do something about the moral pollution that's affecting our culture. Here God is talking about the moral pollution that they have brought upon the land. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, Therefore, the showers have been withheld and there has been no latter rain. God has withheld the rain from the land. Deuteronomy chapter 11, if you're taking notes and elsewhere, Leviticus 26 and other passages, God talks about the rain on the land of Israel and how he will withhold the rain from the land of Israel If they rebel against him, he'll send a drought onto the land as a consequence of the rebellion and their disobedience. And so he says here, I've withheld the rain, the latter rain. 
Latter rain would come right before harvest time. The irony here with this is the children of Israel abandoned Jehovah and began worshiping other gods. In particular, they began worshiping Baal, who they believed was the god of rain that would send rain upon their crops and cause their crops to grow and cause them to have an abundant harvest. And once they started worshiping Baal, the god of rain, what did Jehovah do? He sent a drought to the land. He dried up the skies, caused no rain to fall, to show them that Baal is not the god of rain, that they're worshiping a false god. They can't do anything for them. And the really crazy thing is, they still continue to worship Baal, even though he failed to bring them rain like they thought. You would think that they would say, well, it's no use worshiping Baal. He's supposed to give us rain. We've had a drought for three years. We should worship some other God. But they didn't. They continued to worship these gods that they thought would bring them rain, even though they had a drought. He goes on in verse 3 to say, you have had a harlot's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. The idea there is you dress like a harlot. You have no shame. They didn't uh, hide their sin. They didn't try to keep it secret. They did it out in the open. They flaunted their sin publicly. Now, verse 4, God tells Judah what they should do. Verse 4, will you not from this time cry to me? My father, you are the guide of my youth. He tells them here that they, they should instead cry to him. My father, you are the guide of my youth. The guide of my youth was one of the ways that a wife would describe her husband. They would marry young, uh, and she would describe her husband as the guide of her youth or the companion of her youth. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17 talks about the immoral woman who forsakes the companion of her youth and the covenant with her God. Right? She forsakes her husband. It's the idea. And in verse 4, God's saying, you should be calling on me. I'm your husband. But instead, look at verse 5. Instead, the people were saying, will he remain angry forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you were able. The people of Judah were saying of God, oh, he won't remain angry forever. He's not going to hold this against us. Have you ever heard a wife say something like that about her husband? Uh, usually kind of disrespectfully. She says, oh, oh, he's mad, but he's not going to be mad for long. Oh, he'll get over it. Oh, he won't hold it against me. Don't worry about him. Oh, he's all talk. That's, that's kind of what they're saying here about God. You know, he says he's going to punish us for our rebellion, but he's, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do anything. He's angry. He says he's angry, but he's not really angry. And so they just continued on doing evil and just sort of dismissing what God was saying. And so now, beginning in verse 6, what God does is God reminds Judah of what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah's sister. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians about a hundred years before this. And they were destroyed because they abandoned Jehovah and started worshiping idols. And God warned them over and over, and they dismissed God's warning, and so God punished them and judged them. He asked me how I know, and I 
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile, but think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful, but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know his voice and it only takes Rings true.